we uh, have passed Parashat Noach, and we are now in Parashat Lech Lecha. And I wanted to uh, talk about, you know, what the concept is, what happened by the Doha Flogger, and how it merged into Avramavino, uh, and, and so on, you know. Uh, some of the ideas I'd expressed a long time ago, but I wanted to tie it all together, you see. <clears throat> now, we know, what the, we, we know what the purpose of creation is, really. We know what that is. And what that is, really, is to change the nature of, of, of the material world. You see, and I have mentioned many times before that originally the world is made of Geshem, which is material. It's a physical reality. Uh, and it was added to, because of the uh, sin, it was added to a, what you call a satanic substance, which is Zoyamo. And that's the problem. The problem is that since the world has, is now saturated with a satanic substance, which is the projection of the Sutton, Satan. So therefore, it is now critical, you know, which we know, to remove the Zoyama. Because the problem is, until you remove the Zoyama, you cannot purify Zoyama. You have to remove it. So therefore, that is really the purpose, in many ways, what has become the primary purpose of the Jewish people, is to remove the Zoyama. Then, and only then, can a person then remove the Geshem and turn the world into a spiritual world? And that will occur in certain ways in the Messianic era. And as I had mentioned before, the Messianic era is really the era which is the equivalent of Odomorishim before the sin, you see. And the Jews will be able to do it because the... Uh, the, the Sutton has run out of steam, so to speak, which means that all the power that he has is now released from him. It is now in the side of holiness. So fundamentally, he is bereft of power or energy. As a result of that, he just annihilates, you see. And therefore, the Zoyama, which is a field that surrounds like magnetism, you know, surrounds a magnet. The Zoyamo is like a field that surrounds the Sultan. And it is through that field, the Zoyamo, that he's able to cause the tremendous damage that he does. So that's removed. And that's, in many ways, the central idea of the Jewish uh, um, task, is to get rid of that Zoyamo. And then afterwards you can then proceed to now change the world uh, and to remove or to purify the physicality of it. And, of course, we, now, we know that it turns spiritual and then the world itself becomes more and more spiritual as the years go on and so on. But the main idea really is to remove the Zoyama. And once that's removed, then God does the rest. You know, we don't have to contribute in any way in terms of merit. We don't, we don't have to do that anymore. 
I mean, imagine if we had to do, if our merit had to do zikuch, which is to change the physical world into a spiritual. You know, we'd be stuck for thousands of years trying to do this. So what God has done is he has divided the, the, the stages of man into different periods. And all he requires is for us to battle with the sultan and to get rid of the Zoyamah. We do not have to contribute in any way toward the uh, removal of the physical world to become spiritual. That, that's automatic. Once you do, we do our job, then he does the rest. Thank God for that. We'll be, we'll be busy for the next 10,000 years trying to do that. So our concern really is to get the world to take the Zerma, which is that um, aura, so to speak, of the Sultan, and to destroy it. And the way we destroy it, we know, is by taking away all the sparks of holiness that empowers and enables the Sutton to do it. Because everybody needs uh, those sparks. And he has it, and that empowers him. So that's basically what we have to do. Now, the ones that do it is called the Nishapas, the souls. They're the ones who bring down, you see, the energy to remove that Zoyama. I see now, what's important is to know the structure of the Nishamas. Now, we know that there are ten spheres, which means that there are ten divine uh, forces. We can look at it that way, you know. Uh, we have Keser, Chochmah, Bina. We have Chesed, Gemura, Tferes. Then you have Netzach, Hagisoid. And then, of course, you have Malchus, which is 10. And we know that these are elementary forces of which we have no concept of what they are, but they are the ones that God uses to interface between himself and everything outside himself. So they are really elementary. And basically, there are 10. Now, each one of these 10 is divided into a further ten. So, for instance, the first sphere, which is called Kesser, which is crown, has ten subspheres. And these ten subspheres have the same name, from Kesser, Chochmah, Bina, Tfers, uh, excuse me, Chesed, uh, Gvura, Tfers, and then Netzachoyed Yisoyed, and then Malchus. And these are one-tenth of Kesser. So you have the ten spheres, each one is basically subdivided into ten. And that goes on. It's an infinite progression. Then each one of those is divided into ten, and so on. But we only have to be concerned with the first original ten, which is the prim primary, and their subspheres, which are numbered ten. So therefore, there are ten spheres, as I mentioned. And these ten spheres, like I said, is subdivided each one into ten. Now, of these ten, there are different groupings, you see. The first three spheres, which is Kesser, Chochman, Bina, right? Those three spheres are fundamental. And their energy is what creates the future world. 
and they are incomparable. We have no idea of what they are, but they are fundamental, and they are phenomenally powerful, which we have no idea. Now, the lower seven, from Chesed all the way to Malchus, those are the seven lower spheres. First three is the, uh, the upper spheres, from Chesed to Chochman Bina. And then from Chesed and down to what's called Malchus, those are seven, okay? And like I say, those seven create the realities that we are familiar with. And by the way, each sphere creates one day creation. Uh, and that's why there are seven days of creation. You see, because there are seven spheres of those ten, and they are the ones that create the reality that we know, those seven spheres. So, of the original ten, the lower seven, it's called the Zion Tachtunas, they create the physical world. And really what they do is they create basically everything. And the first three, they create ultimately the future world, which is a different reality. You see, now, of these seven primary, they themselves consist, I mentioned, each one consists of ten. But we're not concerned with the first three, even of the subset, you see. We're again concerned only with seven, you see. But the truth is that all of these ten, right, we are concerned with the seven lower ones of these ten. Because in some way, they are what's responsible for the realities that we encounter. You see, even the spiritual realities. Now, what is interesting, therefore, think about it, is since there are ten spheres, you see, but we are concerned only with the, the uh, seven, the uh, uh, lower seven, and I mentioned that these lower seven have themselves a subset of ten for each. So that comes out there are seventy spheres that is responsible for the physical reality. And therefore what the neshama, the neshama has to do is bring down the energy of these seven uh, original spheres and their subset of ten. Because like I said, those seven are responsible for the reality that we live in. So it comes out that basically we have to engage with, right, 70 spheres, you see. Now, if that's the case, what the Rav did is he created one neshama, and that neshama, of course, was Adam the first man. And after he sinned, and what he could have done, he could have brought a tikkun, which means he could have energized all the spheres that he's in charge of and had done what's called the rectification of creation by energizing all those spheres, and that would have uh, removed all the material, the physicality. But he failed. So what the Vaisham did is he took, right, he took each one of those 70, and he took the Nishama of Adam, and in many ways he divided it into 70 pieces. And they are roots. 
So these 70 neshamas, which come from Adam, they themselves are called root neshamas, shrashim. And each one is connected to one of the 70 spheres or the 70 subspheres. You see, each one. So it comes out that there are 70 root souls, each one connected to one seventieth of that total. And as a result of that, each neshama, or one seventieth, which is a root neshama, was given to one person. And he now becomes a root soul that is able to have descendants. And each of those descendants, no matter how many there are, all have, right, a branch of that root soul. So, for instance, that would mean that there are 70 individuals. They have 70 root souls, each individual. And what happens is that each individual, right, has one seventieth, right, because there are 70 neshamas all connected to these 70 spheres. So all the, the descendants of each neshama, or one-seventieth, let's call it a branch, each one of these can have descendants, offspring, and they are all connected to that one shirish neshama, no matter how far down it goes. It's like there are 70 trees, and each tree, right, has branches. And no matter how many branches it has, right, they're all connected to that one tree which is basically a tree, a trunk, and the roots of the ground. So it doesn't make a difference how many branches that tree has. I mean, it could be like a redwood. Like, uh, what was it? like a, a million different branches coming out of a tree that's 300 feet tall. All of it is connected to that one tree, you see? So those are called the anothem, or the branches. And then the branches themselves, right, has sub-branches, and they have twigs, and so on. It goes on and on, but there are only 70 trees in the whole field, you see. And therefore, each one, these 70 neshamas, who are the root branches, you see, all their descendants are part of his particular tree. And that's the structure of the neshama, or I should say the souls, that has to bring down the uh, light or the energy of those 70 spheres. So that's the way it works, you see. Now, what is interesting is this, how we find it relevant to us. You'll notice that there are many, many nations in the world, that in the UN there's 193 nations. But are there really 193 nations? The answer is no. There's 193, actually there's more than 230, but there are what's called, there are nations of the world, but even though there are many more than uh, 70, but ultimately they are politically nations. Each one is a political entity in and of itself. But really you can have 10 of them that are connected to one root, Nishama. I'll give you an example, for instance, you know. Um, let's, say there's a, let's say the Germanic tribes, you see. So you have Germany, you have Austria, you have different places in, in uh, 
uh, nations that have come from Germany. But in the end, there's one Schleirish called Germany. I'm mean, obviously using that term, you know. There's what's called a Germanic root that can give rise to many nations because there are many political nations, but really, spiritually, they're really all one, you see? So that's the first thing. So as far as the Torah is concerned, there's only 70 nations, even though politically there can be many nations. So that's a very important idea. Now, what is also very important is that each root, you see, basically together with all its sub-divisions uh, and so on, they are responsible for 170th. In other words, 170th spheres, you see. That's what they're responsible for, you see. And therefore, but the question is, well, how do they do it? So each sphere that you're connected to, which means you're connected to a root soul, but each root soul is connected to 170th of those spheres which I've said, the structure. But in order to bring down the energy of that particular 170th, right, you need to have a certain type of situation, you see. That is why we find that there's a difference between nations in many ways. Now, if you look at it, what defines a nation, you see? Well, what defines a nation, if you think about it, is culture. Different nations have different cultures, you see. And what is culture? Well, culture, culture is a distinct form, right, of the music, the art, literature, the architecture, the country where the nation resides, you see, the cuisine. If you think about it, there are many, many different cuisines. I mean, if you go into, let's say, Barnes & Noble, and you go into the cooking section, like every nation has its own cuisine. So you wonder, what in the world is this? You know, why is it that Mexico, let's say, has its own form of cuisine? They have their own form of culture, their own beliefs or values, or their music and art, and so on. What determines the tremendous variation, you see, in the culture of a nation? And the answer is that the culture of a nation is decided by the sphere that it has to rectify, you see, which is interesting. That means if you take Mexico, for instance, right, and Mexico is, is a nation that is connected basically to Spain or to South America or to Central America. You see, we don't know exactly the identity of all 70, but that type of Shirish, let's call it the Spanish Shirish, needs a distinct culture, country, art, music, literature, values, beliefs, religion, and so on, in order to create the proper situation, you see, that if they do the will of God, using that peculiar uh, culture and so on, then they can bring down the ore of that particular sphere. It's interesting. Now, we don't know what sphere is connected to what culture, but what gives rise to the different cultures 
which I mentioned, is all about, you know, the beliefs and the values and the music and the art, the cuisine, the country. All of that is mystically tied to the particular sphere that the shurish of that many nations connected to that root, that's what defines who they are, you see. So uh, maybe if you did a study, you would find that there are 70 basic cultures that comprise all these areas. And the culture is unique in order for it to enable it, that particular, those nations which are tied to one cherish, one root, to bring down the energy or the divine energy, holiness, of that particular sphere. Now, we don't know what, 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 the, what the essence is of each culture and what sphere they're connected to, uh, you see, and why this particular culture has to be in that uh, root in order for it to, um, to do a tikkun to its particular sphere. We don't know that. But that is the origin of culture, you see, which is interesting. Now, so when you put it all together, that means all these 70 root souls originally, which have now divided and divided and so on, you know, to billions of people who are all root, or all, all branches of the original individuals that had the root neshamas, that's what defines their culture, you see. And what was supposed to be is that all 70 nations which are really 70 individuals. And that's how it started, you see. And all the descendants, all the branches of the, that tree, that root tree, all of them together in this particular culture, configuration of culture and so on, they are supposed to bring down everything. So that in many ways is the structure of the 70 nations of, uh, of, uh, that, that, that each one is connected to, you see, one-seventieth of those uh, ten spheres of the original seven, and so on, uh, and so on. In any case, that was the original setup. In fact, if you count all the souls in Parshish, Noyach, you know, and uh, whatever, and Bracious, whatever, you will count 70 people. It's interesting. And the, 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 the value of these people is that each of these individuals, whatever their name is, they possessed a 170th root soul that kicked off all the descendants. And all the descendants are branches of these 70 original individuals. And that's the way it should have been, you see. What happened, however, what happened was is they were supposed to worship God using the specific or particular culture that they possessed, you see. That's what should have been. But instead of doing that, they rebelled, you see. They all rebelled. So what God decided to do, see, is to take all 70 roots 
away from these 70 individuals and or their individual, you know, their people branches and give it to Avramovino. That's what he did. So therefore it comes out that Avramovino, right, because they failed and the last test they had was the Doha Flogger, the Midal Bubble, the Tower of Babel, you see, and they failed. So God took all 70 roots and he gave them the Romavino, you see. And I had mentioned that there's a tremendous remez which is brought down by the Bnei Yisachar, you see. Now we know that there are 70 cows, oxen, cows, whatever, that are brought in Sukkot, Purim, right? That there are 70 of these. Why 70? Because they represent the 70 roots which are connected to the 70 subspheres. They represent what the Jews took from the Goyim. You see, those 70, uh, you know, uh, oxen and so on. So therefore, when Abraham said, Anoichi, I, offer the Efer, right, I'm offer, which means I am dust. Efer is ashes. So, Interestingly enough, in the beginning, I was Efer, which is Aleph Tar. I was only one ox, you see. Because Avraham Avinu, he was an individual who was a Shurish Neshama. But he had only one Shurish. He had only one root of the 70. And now God gave him Ayin Par, 70 Par. You see, that is the remez or the illusion that it switched that God took the Nisham of Avram Avinu and he connected it to all the spheres, you see. And at the same time, God disconnected the 70 nations from those spheres, which is tragic because now these people have no ability to interface with the 70 sub-spheres. The only one who can connect with that is Avraham Avinu, you see. So that's what happened between Pashas Noach and Pashas Lechlecho. And that is what happened by the Brisbane Absarum, you see. And therefore, we now understand that all 70 Nishamas, or roots, roots that are connected to the 70 subspheres, you see, now became connected to Avraham Avinu and therefore becomes connected to all the Jews. Because we ourselves, each one of us, has one of the 70, you see. And that determines in many ways what our job is. You know, if you're connected to, the, let's say, chesed of chesed, then you have one job. If, however, you're not, however, if you're connected to gvul of chesed, then you have a different life. Because you're connected to a different sphere. And that will determine not so much your culture, but it will clearly connect you. Your situation will in many ways have to be a conduit for that particular place that you're connected to. See, in many ways, depending on who your root Nisham is, from Avram Avinu, that will depend on what your job is, which is interesting. Now, we don't know what's behind that. We don't, we don't understand really the nature of which situation goes with which root neshama, or rather which root 
of the spheres, connected to the spheres. But that's what determines every person's job, you see. Uh, so between all the Jews, all the Jews are connected, you see, in terms of him as being a branch neshama or whatever, and that's what uh, defines his unique situation. So that's what Avram, that's what the Ravonshim did. He disconnected all the golem. So what he did do, however, is he didn't want to disconnect them from the spheres because the problem is that they are disconnected from the spheres. It means they have no tachlis. They have no purpose at all in the tikkun of the Bria. But the problem is, if you have no purpose or task that is related to the tikkun of the Bria, the rectification of creation, that you don't exist. You are annihilated. Everything God creates has to have a purpose. There is nothing in this universe that is purposeless. If it is purposeless, it doesn't exist. So what the Vansham did is he didn't want to destroy the Goyim, you see, because now they're all left without a purpose. Because none of the Goyim, since God disconnected them from those 70 spheres or 70 subspheres, they're purposeless. You see, and therefore, there is no point to their existence. It's amazing when you think about that. But everything has to have a purpose. So what God did is he disconnected them, which means he disconnected. We know that there are five parts to the Shema, right? The lowest is Nefesh. Then the next one is called, after Nefesh is Ruach. And then it's called the Shema, Chaya Yechida. So he disconnects all of them minus the last. So he allows them to, to have a nefesh, which is a spiritual soul. Because as that, he has the nefesh. See, that nefesh is really an appendage of some Jew somewhere. Because it is only the Jew, since he is connected to one of the 70 subspheres, he's the only one that can bring down the energy of that sphere, you see. And therefore, since the guy is connected to the Jew, you see, then in some way, if he can assist the Jew in bringing down that energy, then that's what gives him eternal life. It's indirect, you see. That's why it says in the Novi that 10 Goyim, non-Jews, will grab, grab onto the hem of a Jew, right? And the reason for that is that, you know, that's what gives them the ability to survive because they now have purpose. Their purpose is to assist the Jew, not to destroy him, to hamper him, to block him. Of course not. Uh, because that itself guarantees their own annihilation. But to the extent that a guy will assist the Jew, and only God knows exactly how and in what measure, that is their merit to survive in the in the future world. Because then they can have the merit and they could say, well, I contributed right, to the tikkun that this particular Jew that I'm connected to, right, that's what gives me my merit. So God did keep that, because in the end, he needed to give them a purpose, you see. So when you think about it, there are two types of created entities in this world. There's the Jew, who is directly responsible to bring down the energy of all these subspheres, right, 
all those ten of the original seven, uh, seven, which is part of the whole ten. You see, so they're all connected. We're all connected to that, and all the goyim are connected to us. So when goyim some way help us, that doesn't mean that they help, have to help you directly. But let's say there's a goyim in China, right? That makes a parallel. And that apparel is bought by a Jew, you see, that enables him, let's say, to do, you know, good deeds or whatever that is, then that's his lifeline to the future world. He doesn't have to know you, you see. But if the, if the guy really is an upstanding guy, non-Jew, an upstanding non-Jew, then God will make sure that in some way he will contribute to some Jew somewhere doing a good deed. You see, so that's what God did. This is fundamental. It was a change in the entire structural configuration of all mankind. You see, so that's what God did. He disconnected the original configuration or structure where you have 70 root souls and all their descendants are part of that root soul. And like I said, that's responsible for the situation that they have. And that is the unique situation that they need, right, to bring down the light of that particular subsphere, 70, 170, that they, they can do. So he disconnected them from almost everything. He left them connected to a very small portion, but it's enough to guarantee them a place in the future world, you see, because that's their merit, you see. And he connected all of it that is why the Jew is pivotal to the entire world. You know, it's not because, you know, we are special in that sense that, you know, uh, God picked us because he likes the way we look. No, uh, because it, in the merit of Avram Avinu, you see, God gave him all the 70, the, uh, uh, 70 uh, connections. And since we are all descendants of Avram, and then of course Yitzchak and Yaakov, because all three of them were basically root souls that had all, and Avram transmitted it to Yitzchak, who transmitted it to Yaakov, and then all the Nishamas became split into 12, and then from 12 it became split into 600,000. You see the way it works? And then all the 600,000 become split into the millions of Jews over the centuries and so on. Each one has a chilek. Each one has his job in, in some way releasing the energy of the uh, 70 subspheres. You see, so that is a monumental problem that Goyim has. You see, because they, without being connected to the tikkun of the Bria, the rectification of creation, they have no merit to live in the future world. You see, but God, in his kindness, did not want to do that, you know, because after all, they are his creations, you see. So what he did is he allowed them to be active or contribute to the teaching of the Bria, which is the rectification of creation, through the Jew, you see. And that's how they survive. But don't worry, we're not talking about a consolation prize. Because the lowest stature or the lowest state of an individual soul in Ulam the future world, is infinitely compared to the highest state in this world. There's not even a comparison. 
So we're not talking about a consolation prize, you know. Oh, well, what are they going to get? No, because, like I say, the lowest state or the lowest level of the future world is infinitely greater than the highest position in this world. So we're talking about something which is beyond, beyond imagination. Now, could you imagine if this is what a guy is going to get? Could you imagine what the Jew gets? Who, he actually, who is the one responsible, you know, for truly rectifying, you know, what, whatever connection he has to whatever sphere he has, you see. But whatever it is, you know, in Yom the future world is something which I once mentioned, its existence is unknowable because it's not the same type of existence that we have now. I mentioned this, I think, the last year, you see. And then when you take a look at what the Goyim are doing, I mean, could you believe those anti-Semites, what they are going to get? Someday they're going to wake up and they're going to clamor and they're going to beg God, please, don't annihilate us. So God, and this is the Gemara of the where they're going to beg God and say, listen, they're going to try to, in some way, connect the contributions of the Jew. And the Gemara of the has a whole dialogue between the Goyim, or nations of the world, and, and, and God. And they're going to say, listen, you know, we build roads and we build bridges for them. What are they saying? Because in some way that enables the Jew to do the Tikkun, you see? Because if they have roads and bridges, then they're able to go over the river and go to Shul. I mean, whatever the, the connection is, that's why they beg. Because they realize without a connection, they are annihilated. It's over with. They cease to exist. You see, so we know that God gave them a mitzvah, a sukkah. I went into that, what that means by the shiyan sukkahs and so on, you know, why sukkahs and so on. Uh, but this is the meaning of that tomorrow. So could you imagine on the great day of judgment? Or not even then, because that's the end of the world. That is at the end of the Messianic era. But could you imagine when the shiyan comes? And all the goyim that hate the Jews or that in some way has harmed the Jews. And there are so many goyim that do this. You know, they don't care. You know, they think they can get away with this. You see. But there will come a time when all of a sudden, hey, there is a Messiah. And guess what? The Jews are at the top of the, uh, at the, top of the, the pile. It's unbelievable. And we see that in the Novi, where God says many times, Right? He actually said that, and all the world will know, right, that I dwell in the midst of the Jewish people. They're going to know that, that God doesn't dwell outside. The Jewish people is the residence of God. Like it says, and I dwell in their midst. Could you imagine what they're going to feel like? And they know they're finished, you know? So of course they're going to run and beg God, you know? But what's going to help them, really? It's too late. And now you're going to ask me, wait, wait a minute, how will they know? And there are many answers to that. But one of the answers is, why do you think the Bible is the greatest book ever written, even into the Goyim? It's the greatest selling, it's the greatest book ever sold. It has the most printings, and everybody in the world has heard of the Bible. I don't care if you're Hindu, I don't care if you're sick. You know, S-I-K-H. I don't care who you are. You know, if you're Islam, anybody heard of the Bible? All you have to do is read it. 
I mean, unless you're a pure idiot. How do you not see what it says? With God says to Avraham Avinu, those that bless you will be blessed, and those that curse you will be cursed. And God is not making it conditional. He's not saying, well, that's only true when you're alive. After you're dead, they can curse away. He isn't saying that. And then all through Nach it says what God's relationship is to the Jews. Every prophet, every Novi in the Tanakh, in Nach, says what will happen to the Goyim. It says who the Jews are in relationship to God. And only, only a moron could read the Chumash or the Nach and deny what it says. So what are you going to say? Why do you think God made the Torah, the Bible, as they call it? Why do you think he made the Bible universal? So no girl can say, I didn't know this. You see, because the Bible is spread to every land in the world. So how's a guy going to say, I didn't know this? He can't. You see, the fact that the Bible is pervasive throughout the planet, you see, is the undoing of the Goyim. And they don't realize that, you see. It's the same idea, you know. So a guy cannot say, I didn't know this. He can't say that. Because God will prove to him that you did know this. You didn't care. You ignored the plight of the Jew. Do you have any idea how many people will be condemned? You cannot even begin to understand what's going to happen the day the Mashiach comes. You are going to see a pachad. You are going to see the greatest manifestation of fear ever known. You know, you think when a pandemic hits, and COVID hits, like it hit last year, and it was killing people left and right, you think that's when people are afraid? Of course not. They, the greatest day of fear will be when the Mishnah arrives. Because they know, as they say in English, the gig's up. They know the truth. Not only that, they know their contribution to the truth. And then they, they know exactly what they wanted to do to the Jews. And they can't fool God. You can't fool him. I can say, well, you know, like these idiots who say, for instance, two-state solution. What do you mean two-state solution? There's nobody to talk to. They hate the Jews. And these politicians who talk about two-state, they know that's a suicide trip for the Jewish people. Not only that, they see in the Torah, in the Bible, where it says that God swore that the land of Israel belongs to the Jews. I mean, what are they talking about? They see this. You know, everybody, most people have read the Bible. People know the great stature of the Jews in the Bible. So what are they going to say? A two-state solution? You mean the Arab lands don't have enough territory to move the Arabs into those lands? I mean, it, it's insane. You know, I mean, it just, it, the, the tragedy... We cannot even begin to understand the tragic consequences of the Goyim who have despised, hated the Jews. And what are they going to hide behind? Well, we didn't know. Like I said, one of the reasons why the Torah, the Bible, is pervasive throughout the planet is exactly so no Goyim has an excuse that I didn't know. You see? And they, they know that the Jews are unique. Everybody knows that. So what a Goyim should have done says, listen, you know, before I mess around with the Jew, let me find out who this guy is. You know, 
I, I remember I once read years ago that Clinton, Clinton had some type of a, uh, some type of a pastor that he held from a great deal. I read this years ago. I'm talking about Clinton, you know. Uh, and um, this pastor was dying. And Cl Clinton uh, went to visit him. You know, Bill Clinton went to visit him. So he told him something, which is incredible. He said, I want to tell you something, Bill. He was his pastor and so on. Whatever you do, you know, you're governor now of Arkansas, wherever you're governor, if you ever make it to president, whatever, don't mess with the Jews. That's what he told Clinton. And of course Clinton messed with the Jews. He allowed Arafat to do terrible things to the Jews. Where Arafat was killing the Jews. And Clinton did nothing. He never even protested to Arafat. Who knows what this guy's going to get? You know, this guy, you know, and God is paying them back now. Because Clinton has a claim. Well, I, I helped the Jews, which is true. There's certain things he did with good. So God is not going to allow that claim to allow him to claim, you know, the future world. What he's doing is he's paying him back now. He's paying him back with COVID, money, hundreds of millions of dollars that he, him and Hillary have. This, is a, this isn't an accident that they have this. You see, this is a reward for what they've done so they have no claim to the future world, you see. And it's amazing that the pastor who ultimately died, how right he was. Because he realized, he was a Christian, obviously, or Catholic, whatever, you know. He said, whatever you do, don't mess with them. Because, you know, you know what it reminds me? It's interesting. Uh, you know, imagine you go into India, you know, and you go on uh, some type of uh, um, safari, or uh, let's say you go to Africa. You know, and, and you go on a safari, you know, you know, and all of a sudden you, you say to yourself, you know, why not make a lot of money? I'm going to go and track down, you know, lion, lions, because I want to try to steal their cubs, right? And I can sell them to a museum, not a museum, a zoo. So you feel, wow, that's a great idea. So what do you do? You know, you break away and you hunt for lion cubs, you see? So what happens all of a sudden one day? You're walking, whatever, and you find lion cubs alone. Let's say there are four of them, and you find it together because obviously, you know, the mother cub, uh, the mother uh, lioness, and the, and the lion himself, whatever, they're not here because they're probably searching for food, they're hunting and all that, right? So you figure this is phenomenal, right? So all of a sudden, you go over slowly, and you begin to take each cub, right? And you put it in a sack. Right? And you want to take this, these cubs, and they're all screaming and yelping and all that. And you want to go back and sell them. You turn around, you put them in a sack, you turn around to leave, and all of a sudden, you see the great male lion that's about 10 feet from you, looking at you. You know your sense. See, that's the analogy. Yeah. What they're trying to do is destroy the Jews. Two-state solution, the Holocaust. All of these people destroy the Jews. You see? It's all anti-Semitism in the end. When you have Congress trying to pass laws to destroy the Jews or to harm the Jewish people or whatever, they have no idea. They think they can get away with this. 
Yeah, because the line is gone. But someday, when they're finished, and the Mashiach comes, that's the line looking at them, the Ari, looking at them. And what do you think the line is going to do? That man is dinner. That's what happens, you see. That's why they don't understand. There was, the, the going used to be supreme because there was no such thing as a Jew by Avroma Vino, you see. There was no such thing as, as, as a Jew then, before Avroma Vino. That only came later, after God switched them, you see. And he took away the root souls, and he gave it all to Avroma Vino, you see. But someday, that will be manifest. That's why the Jews always must number 70. In fact, when the Jews went to Egypt, there was only 69 Neshamas. If you count, by Yovah Mitzrayim, they came to Egypt. You know, when Yaakov came down, they, the Torah goes over the names of the people that came with him. And if you count it, right, it's 69. And Yocheved, they were about to enter Egypt with only 69 people. And all of a sudden, Yocheved, Moshe's mother was born in between the walls because Egypt apparently had two walls. So in between the walls, before they entered Egypt, there were 70 Nishamas. Why? Because those are the 70 Nishamas, right, that took over from the 12 tribes, that took over from the others, the three patriarchs, right, that took over from the 70, the 70 root souls of the original peoples that were Yisrael. I want to mention Yisrael is an individual that can do the Tikkun because it has an Ishama that's connected to the spheres. But Yisrael now became every Hebrew, you see. So this is a very important transition. In fact, it is the greatest transition ever known because it went from all mankind all mankind being connected, you see, to the Shrasim, to the 70 subspheres, each with its individual culture. And now you understand the origin of every culture, you see. And this is what happened, you see. So the Jews took over everything. And that is why, which is I once mentioned a long time ago, what happened is, is that all the cultures of the world that the Jews took over can be subdivided in two. One is Esau, Edom, you see. He took over 35. And the other one is Ishmael. He took over 35. Because from the entire world, it ultimately settled into Esau, Edom, because of Edom is Jewish, and it settled into Ishmael. And that is why the Jews who have taken over those 70 have to go and travel and reside in these two nations. One is Ishmael. This is Sephardim. That's why Jews are divided distinctly into two different cultures. One of the cultures of the Middle East, right? And the Middle East, we know, of course, is the Islam, Arabs, and that is the origin of Sephardic Jews, Spain, 
that the name of Spain is Sfarad. And that is why the other half of the Jewish people, so to speak, is Ashkenazim, which is Germany, which is Edoim, or Esau. And that is why the Jews have to be one of these two. Because collectively, you see, Yishmael, or the Sfardim, right, they had the culture of many of the many of the Asiatic people and so on, and the Middle East, you see. So the Jews have to be exiled among these people so they can adapt that particular culture, which is the unique culture that they need to bring down the the uh, energy of thirty five of those spheres, you see. And the same thing with the Ashkenazim. They dwell in Europe and many lands, you see, because they need to adapt the culture, right, of of Europe and so on, which is Edwin, which is Aesop. And that is why there are two the, the Jews are divided in, in many ways in two distinct cultures. Now, of course, there are subdivisions within each culture. For instance, the culture of the Sfardim, you know, you have the Syrians, is one, you know, and then you have Moroccans, Egyptians, Persians, Turkey, and so on. So there are, of course, subdivisions. Now, we don't know the meaning of the subdivisions because we don't really know what generates the situation necessary. But when you add it all together, you know, those are the nations of Asia, you see. And the same thing with Europe. There are many subcultures of Jews in Europe. There are German Jews, right? There are Jews of France, right? England, uh, Poland, and so on, East Europe, and so on. They're all Aesop or Edwin, but there are variations. There are different variations in music and so on, cuisine and so on. But in the end, it's all Aesop, you see? And that is why. Since the Jewish people took over the root souls, right, or the root connections to these 70 spheres, then they had to take over the unique situation that you need to operate within to do the tikkun, you see, of these spheres. So that's why you have Ashkenazim, and that is why you have Svad. But in the end of time, you see, when the Mashiach comes, there's no more necessity because you've done the taken in the in the situations that uh, Svaldom and Ashkenazim have done. You've done it. The taken is complete. You know? So what will happen is there's no more Svaldom, there's no more Ashkenazim. There'll be what's called a Jew. You know? And so on. Because it's not necessary anymore to have that particular situation that you need to be able to do the rectification, the, the tikkun of that particular uh, root, you see. But in any case, this is what has to have happened really toward the end, you know, and that's why, you know, Ashkenazim, you know, for many years, the, the, the body of the Jewish people, right, was Sfad. It was only after Africa, North Africa, that the Jews then migrated into Spain, Right? Because until then, it was just Israel, Babylon, right? That was the original place where all the Jews were, from Israel to Bobel to Babylon, right? And then from there, it went to Africa, Morocco and Egypt and so on, Lebanon, not Lebanon, yeah, even Lebanon so on, yeah, and then migrated into Spain. The Jews went to Spain, and from Spain, 
right? They were booted out in Spain in 1492, whatever. And then they went to Germany, France. And from that, they went eastward to Poland, Russia, because they got booted out of those countries and so on. Uh, but in any case, what happened is, because of the migrations of all the Jews, the Tikkun has been complete, you see. And that is why, uh, that, that, and that's why, uh, like I say, the Jews are divided in these two unique cultures. But the main idea is that that was a fundamental shift in the Tikkun of the Bria, the, the rectification of creation, you see. And that's because, like I say, we, the Jewish people, have taken over the Tikkun. And that's what it means. It's clearly, it says that, you know. And it says, God says to Abraham, you know, in you, uh, right, will be blessed all the nations of the earth. Why? Is that because it's a reward? Because of Avram Avinu, they also get rewarded? Maybe to a certain extent. But the real reason is since Avram Avinu has the ability to do Tikkun on all 70 spheres, subspheres, right? So therefore the energy of the spheres descends. And when it descends, that's the greatest thing for the world. That's the descent of the divine presence. You see. And that's why those that curse you will be cursed. Because when they curse you and they try to block your ability to do taking, then what they're doing is cutting their nose to spite their face. Because if the Jew can't do the taking, not just the Jew suffers. The entire universe suffers including the planet Earth, you see. And they do not understand. They don't understand that the blessings of the world can only, and I underline only, come to the Jew. Because he has access to these 70 subspheres. Nobody else has. And the root of all blessing is in those, the energy, the light, the holiness, of the spheres, because within the spheres is the insight, is God, because the spheres, in many ways, is the conduit of God, of the divine presence. It's too bad, in many ways, it's tragic that non-Jews don't understand what they're doing. You know, when they block the Jewish people from having Eretz Yisrael constantly, and they know what they're doing. Just think about all the enemies of the Jewish people. Uh, how many nations that hate the Jews and they think they're smart because subtly, so I should say subtly, they try to block the Jews. They may believe, well, we're doing it for peace. We're doing it for this. Uh, for trade, for economy. Nonsense. They know what the repercussions are, you know, when the Jew has to give back Israel to the murderous Arabs. They know what the repercussions are. You can't live side by side with people that want to clean you out and destroy you, you see. <clears throat> but someday all that will all end. And I'll tell you one thing, you know. The wail that will rise from the nations of the world, each one who knows what they did, you will, it will be unbelievable what the crying will be. Because they realize that they're all doomed because they know what they did. I wish the world would wake up and realize that 
pastor said to Bill Clinton, don't mess with the Jews. Because you have no idea what their position is, what their influence is in heaven. And like, it's like the guy stealing the lion cubs, you know. Uh, you don't want to turn around and all of a sudden realize, yeah, you didn't see the lion, so you're busy taking his cubs. You want to play around with his cubs. Then you turn around and you realize you're about to become his dinner, you see. <clears throat> In any case, this is a pivotal concept. That concept of Lech Lecha is one of the greatest metamorphoses to ever before mankind because it took away the power of the guy to do Tikkun. But not totally, because like I said, God allowed them to still have a point, a purpose. Help the Jew, you know, help the Jew do his commandments and so on. And that will be the greatest reward you can ever have. You know, there are some going that understand that. There are many Christian sects that understand that. Very few. You see, this is the problem. In any case, so we now understand uh, the uh, fundamental change in mankind's history because of this. Any questions? Well, I'm glad there's so many questions. Yeah, yeah, they have it. Hold on, here you go. What? What do you say? Hold on one second. Someone has a question. You hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Speak loud, please. Hold on. You have the question? No, I just, I didn't hear it, but I thought everybody hung up. Oh, no, I thought you, you had a question. You have a question there, Sir Rabbi? No, I understood what he said. Did you say you understood what I said? Yeah. Great. That is great. Well, it looks like everybody understood what I said. She has come. Is it, are we going to speak uh, the Sephardic Hebrew or the Ashkenaz Hebrew? Oh, when the Mashiach comes, are we going to what? Which dialect of Hebrew? Are we going with the Sephardic or the Ashkenaz? Well, it's not necessary anymore to have that particular situation or culture, uh, you see. And also what will be revealed to us is what, what culture determines which sphere. The problem is that we, who are the Nishamas, you know, we are all part and parcel of Avram Avinu, Yitzchak and Yaakov, and then we subdivide into the 12 tribes. So it all started with one man, went into 70, all 70 went to Avram Avinu and Yitzchak and Yaakov, and then Yaakov split into 12 Nishamas, into the 12 tribes. And those 12 tribes, again, you know, went into the 70 that went down into Egypt. And there's 70 split into 600,000 what's called sparks, you see. And then from 600,000, it's split into the millions of Jews. So we are really all sparks 
of the original trees, you see, of which there are only 70 connections, like I said. But the amount of neshamas, how they're ordered and configured, you see, all of that eventually will be revealed. Who you are, really, what tree you're connected to, and how did that determine your life situation? You see what I'm saying? Was there ever a time um, in history that uh, any of the Mikubalim knew how to tell what kind of, which sipidot you were connected to so you would know your purpose and your job? I'm sure, I, I imagine there were, <coughs> that there were, I mean, the Ari certainly can tell. You know, there were great Mikubalim that could look at you and tell who you are in terms of where your root belongs, you see. You know, so there were people that could do it, yes. I mean, certainly in the times of the Nevi'im, <clears throat> the prophets, there's no question that there were people so that you can why go didn't, to. Why, didn't, why, didn't, weren't, why weren't they able to do the tikkun if they had these conduits to assist them in, in, in guiding them in a proper way? Like, now we have zero. Like, yeah, but... You, what, <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> True. But what happens now is we don't have to know. You see, God directs us. And that's what leads to the successes and failures of a person. You know, what he does and where he goes. Now God has to direct everyone. Because if he doesn't direct us, what you're saying is correct. We won't know what to do. And if we don't know what to do, then our existence is pointless because we cannot uh, in any way uh, do what our task is. You see? And that's what it says in the Uvolution. Lo niga l'rik. You know, we don't want to work for nothing. Lo nene l'baholo. We don't want to be burned for, born for nothing. You see? And God certainly doesn't want that. So God directs exactly what you have to do. So in that sense, it's nice to know, you know, so in a certain sense, you can hurry it up, you know. But right now, you know, it's because sometimes we go in a certain direction that it's not meant for us, and after a while we find out, hey, it's, it's not working, you see. So why do we have to go through that trial and error? If we knew that we could go directly to that, you see, so whatever, God is the one who directs everybody. I mean, without his direction, it's like God is our GPS. In fact, it's not called global positioning system. It's called God positioning system, right? GPS. God is the one who positions all of us in terms of what we are supposed to do, you see. So I, I wouldn't lose sleep over the fact that we don't have anybody to tell us what to do. You see? Once the Mashiach comes, does it still matter which Sephira we're connected to? Or it's, the Tikkun's already done, it doesn't matter? Well, when the Mashiach comes, not Ben Yosef, but Ben David. When Ben David comes, it's over. The Tikkun will have been done all the energy of the spheres that we need to bring down to remove the Zoyama 
He's done. And that's why the Sutton dies. Because Mashiach ben David kills the Sutton. Whether he kill him, kills him, or changes him, whatever, but he annihilates the entire phenomenon called evil. It's over. There's no death, no illness, no deterioration. Everything is successful. You see, whatever you touch will be incredibly successful, almost with no effort. Because what stops you all the time, right, is kitrugim, is prosecutions, it's kapora, it's oinish, it's yisurin, it's suffering. That's what blocks everything, you see. It's what's called corrections, you see. All of that is not necessary because it's all gone. It's all been accomplished, you see. And therefore, in the Messianic era of Mashiach ben David, uh, what we live in is in a perfect life. It's the closest you ever can come to utopia, you see. What it really is is Gan Eden in physical form. Because after Mashiach ben David comes and the beginning of Tres Mason, ultimately Gan Eden disappears. You don't need it. Because all the Neshamas will have been born again, or risen from the dead, I should say. So what do you need Gan Eden? This is Gan Eden. This earth will become the Gan Eden that Odom Harishan lived in, which was obviously unbelievable. We don't really even know the beauty of Gan Eden, you know. And uh, in fact, it will be even better. Because the Gan Eden that we will arise into by Tres right? There's no concealment of the Shechina, you see. Whereas by Odomarishan, God was concealed in order to allow Odomarishan to have a test. But in the Gan Eden that we create, or I should say we restore to what it was before the sin, uh, it'll be flawless. Absolutely flawless. You see. So does Mashiach and yourself Ben Yosef, help us find out um, <coughs> yes. that we're connected to, so that we can yeah, Well, Mashiach Ben Yosef, like I said, is he is the one who is the transition period. He's the one that has to bring it. You know, if you want to marshal to that, you know, he's like the obstetrician. He's the guy that takes the baby and gets him into the world. You know? And in a certain sense, you know, the uh, pediatrician uh, is, the, uh, is the guy after it's born. Uh, that's why the job of Mashiach Ben Yosef is an incredibly difficult job. Because he has to change the world. He has to contend with evil. He has to fight them. You see, and it's a tremendous battle. Because the evil does not want to give up. It's like Paroi coming after the Jews after they left Egypt. This guy doesn't want to give up, you know. Of course, God made him run after the Jews to destroy the whole Egyptian army, as well as to destroy Egypt, you know. But that's really what it is, you know. The Mashiach ben Yosef is the one who's got to contend with all the evil and destroy it and see to the transition, you see. <clears throat> and that's what I once mentioned previously, that the Beis Hamikdash is built in the time of Mashiach ben Yosef. Why? Because the Beis Hamikdash is part of the instrument to bring back the Jews. 
you see? <clears throat> That's part of the uh, instrument, uh, instrument to do it. That's part of the inducement, you know? So his period of time is glorious. It's unbelievable. I mean, the changes that will happen. Can you imagine living in Egypt and watching the ten makas? I mean, who could imagine what that was like? <clears throat> you know, it's a violation of nature over and over again. Can you imagine an entire sea turned to blood? This was real blood. You know, even the Red Cross can take from this blood. You see? That's what's going to happen. And we know that the ten plagues of Egypt is minuscule compared to what the Mashiach ben Yosef is going to do to the world. We don't even realize. But we will have the same concept as the ten plagues in the time of Mashiach ben Yosef. You see, and that's one of the ways he's going to battle with all the nations of the world. And we can't even imagine what that is. You know, but it's Egypt, you know, squared or cubed. What is going to happen? You know, the problem is that, you know, we have to go through this terrible time of suffering which as I once told you about. Why? Because God has to satisfy din, judgment. He has to make the Jews worthy. This is the problem. I once mentioned, because if the Mashiach is coming because of the Memteshari Tumah, then God has to bring the Jews to a level where they all deserve it. This is the problem. And that is why it gets terrible before Mashiach comes. be really bad. And we're watching it. We're watching crazy people. I mean, it's unbelievable. You can't believe what, you know, what's going on in this America. The immorality and the refusal to acknowledge, the refusal to acknowledge gender. Where a guy can make believe he's a woman and a woman can make believe she's a man. In fact, you cannot even address them by his or her, him and her. You know, they can go after you in court. It's unbelievable. I mean, you know, it's insane. In a certain sense, it's like walking into an insane asylum where you realize that the inmates have taken over the asylum. That's really what's happening. You see. Because you can't even make this stuff up. I mean, it's so rational. And what we are watching is not sinning. That's the least of the problems, you see. It's not even immorality, which is the least of the problems. It's insanity. It's a destruction of rationale. That's what's happening, you see. We never dreamed that this would be. I mean, if people sin, they're immoral, okay. But not this. This is a breakdown in civilization, in the rationality of man. And it's incredible how quick America has capitulated to this. It's hard to believe that this is America, or that th these people are sane. You see, just shows you 
you know, what, what, what the end is really all about. It's an insane time for the world. It's not merely sinning. It's insane. You see. But just hang in. Yeah, because you're insulting them. Because they have a right to decide what they want to be. It's insane. It also, yeah. also um, I read an article that uh, a synagogue needed a, a tenth man for a minyan, <laughs> and then a, a transgender woman walked in, and they considered her as a, you know, as a man because now she identifies as it. She was the tenth. Man I don't care. What was she originally? She was a woman. She turned into a man. Oh, so now they were, they they they, they added her to her a, minion. a minion. Wow, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. <clears throat> yeah. Well. They said, they said also the Israeli army is starting um, to put in um, education of um, of Jesus into their curriculum. Who? Jesus. You mean Christianity? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, you are looking at the destruction. You should know this is the ultimate rebellion against God. You know, it's like people are saying to God, jump in the lake, God forbid. That's what they're saying. It is complete rebellion against God's morality. It's really what it is. You see. In many ways, it's the Doha Fogo. They want to rebel against God and overthrow Him. You know. So, what is what? Is, where does the mandates fall into this? Like the the whole point of the control of it, it's really going back to how the Holocaust began, or, or, or it's stripping us of everyone's freedom, freedom of choice, whatever they choose to do or not. So, where does this fall into this? And the divine agenda of things, because right well, well, now guess, that's where the where that's like the contraction of a lot of the pressure is on the the people the most. Well, what it, what it, in in many ways what it is, you see, is a measure for measure. Because what see the, what, what kicked this off? I once spoke about this. What kicked this off is the LGBTQ which came in 2015. And that's the end of civilization. I mean, that's what signed the decree of the Bible. So what God is really saying is that, look, you want to do this? You, know, you want to destroy my civilization? Guess what? I am going to release those people that want to destroy civilization. I am going to empower them to be successful. And that's exactly what God has done. He has empowered them, right, to do what they want to do. God, in other words, God has unleashed, you know, the devil, the monster himself. That's what he's done. Because it's a measure for measure. You want to destroy my civilization? Great. I will show you what it means to destroy civilization. So God says, I'm going to give success to these people, because they can't be successful unless God allows it. I don't care what they want. 
Only God can allow them to do this. So there's a certain amount of time that he gives them free will. And he says, okay, you decide. You see? But now God is not allowing them to decide. He is empowering them to do this. You see? And that's exactly why they have taken over America and they're slowly taking over the world. Because it's not going to stop here. We know that. In 10 years, mothers are going to marry their sons. Brothers are going to marry their sisters. This is, this is what's called a slippery slope to doom. And this is an oinish, you see. But it all starts with man's decision to destroy the world, the civilization, you see. And, and, that, and that's really what's happening. And that is the end of civilization. Just like that was the end of the marble, you see. God said, enough is enough. I will give you 120 years to get your act together, which of course they didn't. And God finally said, enough, right? So when Noah closed the door to the Teva, that was the end. And God wiped out the planet. Could you imagine the utter destruction? Because we don't even know what occurred in the marble. It's not just water. There were probably earthquakes, volcanoes, who knows what happened? In fact, the Machoikas, even the stars, the sun and the moon, they stopped operating or functioning. So we don't really know, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the pervasiveness of what happened. But this is it. Mankind or America has decided, which is the beacon of the world, to pursue a direction that's the end of civilization. You see, and God says, is that the way you want to go? Then it's over. And I told you, God decided to press the restart button. And the restart button is Mashiach. That's what it is. He's not going to destroy the planet, but he is going to bring the Mashiach. So you are witnessing the end of time. There's no going back after this. America is not going to change. We know that, you know. I mean, the Supreme Court has made it constitutionally legal to have LGBTQ+. Plus, you know, there's no going back. They're not going to make a constitutional convention to retract what that crazy Anthony Kennedy did or the rest of the Supreme Court crazy liberals. You know, they have no idea what's going to happen to them because they initiated the destruction of civilization. So the good news, at least, is that Mashiach is the, is the only answer to this, you see. So that's why we are really on a downward slide. So that's the good news. The bad news is we have to watch this craziness, you see. That's the bad news, you see. But look, it'll end someday. And that end will not be a cessation of evil. It will be an overturning of evil. That's the difference.